Hello, welcome to t- Time to Say Goodbye. It is uh, This show will be out on the 18th of January. Um, right now, Tammy is in Korea. What, what time is it right now? Is hey, guys. It, like, it is the 18th of January It's the 18th. I'm in the future. It's, it's 9 a.m. <laughs> okay. How, how are you adjusting to that? Is it weird? Do you always have to remind people like, hey, it's tomorrow where I am? <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to do some reporting on the states from here, and it's like messing me up because I'm basically oh. not sleeping because of the interview times. But it's good to see oh, you. Oh, yeah, I'd be the, I have enough trouble being in California with that. Exactly. Stuff, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the three-hour difference. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I can't handle this. Um, Andy, how are you doing? Andy's in, in uh, Pennsylvania still. i'm good uh it's mlk day so my daughter was home so we spent three or four hours in the planetarium or the uh science museum in town so that was uh oh it's not bad but uh by the end i was like watching the same planetarium movie over and over over over, i was wanting to kill myself wait what do you you mean they only have yeah don't they have others they rotate but every time we went back it was the same one about stars (laughs) Wait, but how many? Which times? I, I learned a lot about stars. I didn't know much about stars. I don't, how long's a movie? It's like twenty minutes. So how many times did you watch the twenty-minute-long movie? Two times. Okay, that seems unnecessary. Can't you just say we already saw this and then? Oh, I know. Everything? I mean, but you know, you have a four-year-old. Does she want to? Uh, does she? Does she not watch things she's never watched before? Uh, I don't think that the planetarium thing would be a problem, but yeah, you're right. She does watch things over and yeah. over again. Yeah. She's seen Bugs Life at least 30 times, I would say, <laughs> which is like fine. Bugs Life is the most socialist Disney movie ever made. I've never <laughs> seen so, it. Is that, so oh, that's man. good. Okay. Yeah, like the ants are the workers and they You're rise up enough. against the uh, crickets who are like the, who are just like living off of their labor. So the crickets are like the bourgeoisie. <laughs> <laughs> or really just a ruling class, really wow you know? yeah yeah and they like and it's feudalism ev- right yeah yeah, are there fe- humans yeah feudalism is right it's anti-feudalist <laughs> huh are <laughs> there humans in it no there are no humans oh. but basically the ants start this uh they like try and make these technocratic solutions you know like they try and develop new technology to harvest the food that they have to give to the crickets every year faster it doesn't work, right? And what they realize at the end that the only thing that can ha- that will work for them is to rise up as one <laughs> against right. the crickets. It's incredible. Oh my god! So in the end, do they have a socialist government, or what's the end result? They, they don't get power to that. sharing. <laughs> they win, and then it's over. You know? Um, yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't show. How comes the hard part, ants? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Society <laughs> they, they don't show like the inevitable corruption that follows the the you like, know the victory of the proletariat. Lenin and, and, and Trotsky and yeah. Stalin and. <laughs> They don't, or the hauling off of the intellectual ants, you know, like just who are propping up, who are propping up the cricket regime. Cultural revolution is coming. I don't know. I was thinking about that because I, you know, I wrote this piece last week, and it was about like children's books, and one of the books I mentioned was Click Clack Moo, which is also about like barn animals uh, unionizing. Have you read that? No. So is that just like an animal farm, like? Yeah. Uh, no, because Animal Farm in some ways is like anarchist, right? In some sort, right? Like it's sort of about right. It's anti-socialism. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's anti-totalitarianism. But you're right. And Click Clack Moo, the mar- farmer, is basically like making his cows all uh, give too much milk, and they unionize and they say they put out a. Uh, <laughs> they, they're like, we need a typewriter, and on the typewriter they say like, we're not going to produce milk for you anymore. We've decided collectively. 
And then the ducks also on the farm decide to not work anymore. So it's like ducks and cows on strike. <laughs> but oh, then wow. I read this interview with the with the woman who wrote it. And she said that she had like because they were asking her, it's like, did you know that you had written basically like a labor, like you know, like a uh, a labor children's book? And she was like, what? <laughs> But she, she, said the she, per- she, she said the person who figured it out was her father and her father was a transit cop so obviously was in like a police union or something like that <laughs> so, so he saw the union he saw the union part of it oh wow. my god oh man click like move is great too but yeah it, uh bug life is basic i really think it is like basically socialist propaganda and you will never dissuade me how did it get way. made i, I have, have no clue now I have no clue, but it's like very clear, right? Like it's like they are literally working to provide all the food for the crickets who do nothing all the time except terrorize the ants. And what the ants don't realize until the end is that if they all rise up together, that the crickets are powerless against them, and so they they do it. And then do they have do they have like right wing burnings of the DVDs of Bug Life? (laughs) Like when we were kids, and they would like smash the CDs, like rock CDs and stuff. I don't think they've I don't think they've noticed, but um, and I also don't think that they really want to. You know, there's plenty of Disney propaganda that's not socialist, right? But um, this one. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like it's anti-feudal pro-capitalist. Like now the ants are free to buy and sell their labor. No, they don't do that. They provide for themselves. (laughs) They've like, you know, they've reverted. They form a (laughs) co-op. Yeah. Or they reverted to like one of the, one of the societies that like Graber and Wengro approve of. (laughs) And which I can't even track. I've, I've listened to four chapters of that now on (laughs) Audible. Oh, you're listening to it. It sounds complicated. It's like the history of the universe, right? Yeah. Yeah. On audiobook. (laughs) It's, I like it. I, you know, I, it's one of those books where like the back and forth about it is better. You know, like the, conversation about it is actually better than the experience of reading the book sure. like mm-hmm. the first two chapters about like rousseau or something and i'm reading through it, it's like i don't give a shit you know yeah. i'm sorry like i want to and then they're talking about you know most books about prehistory are just about like you know somebody reporting on all these interesting and fascinating societies and we're not going to do that and i was like no that's what i want you know <laughs> just just download the shit in my brain so that I know how like societies that I never even knew about how they operated. Like that's why I'm reading the book. You know, yeah. I don't want this meta conversation. That's you arguing with four scholars about what right. we're so said, you know, right. but whatever, you know, that's the problem with the intellectual left, right? It's just that, um, I mean, do they do like have uh... pure messaging? Like let's kill all these crickets. Was that basically, <laughs> yeah. Cause Aunt- Call me Anthony Appiah has that whole critique of it in the New York Review, which I followed, but I haven't read the book. Of the book. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and then put, like, Wayne Grau responded to it. What? Wayne Grau responded. Do they put like 1950s anthropology on audiobooks? You could listen to They that. put everything. Do you know what <laughs> like, I'm listening to right now? Oh I'm driving around listening How to dreary. The, I'm, I'm listening to like the Black Jacobins while driving around. Oh, wow. They so have so does that Jacobins. work though? Like, I it. feel like I can't take it in that yeah, way. I don't think I could. Who reads it? Like, I don't like remember. Some, some some British dude. All these are written by read by. I've some never British read that dude. in full. Well, that was the thing. I yeah. have never read it in full, and now I am listening to the whole thing. It's great. Um, okay. I, I yeah, I was driving around with my kid listening to it, and then it was like all these horrific descriptions. And I was like, okay, maybe this is yeah. Know, hopefully, she's not absorbing all these horrific descriptions right. of what not. people did. Um, okay. Anyway. 
We were supposed to talk about Wordle, but I think we have a good introduction at this point. We don't have to talk about it. It's stupid. I hate this. Is it Scrabble? Right. Okay. Just if like, you don't even know what it is, we're going to skip it. Yeah, All right. Let's go to our... Um... <laughs> Everyone's doing it, though. Okay. Our first topic today is um, we wanted to... There's like this sort of like weird conversation. No, I don't want to say the heated conversation going around about Amy Wax again. And I don't... I generally want to ignore Amy Wax when she comes up in the news because I just think she's a troll. For those who don't know, Amy Wax is a tenured professor of law at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, she is definitely on the right. Now, that itself isn't a problem. Of course, there should maybe should be and will be professors of law who are on the right. But Amy Wack seems to get herself in trouble all the time for saying things that are like really racist, you know? And so like the first thing, reason why she got in trouble recently was because she made this comment saying that like all of all the 1Ls who took her class, 1Ls being first year law students, right, Timmy? That's what a mm -hmm. 1L is? Okay. <laughs> that consistently the black students got in who took her 1L class were at the bottom of their class, right? And um, she was basically saying this as like an argument against, uh, the most charitable way to say it is to say that she was using this as an argument against affirmative action, right? And sort of touching on this mismatch theory, which is very big in the anti-affirmative action circles, which is essentially that if you take uh, students who can't compete at these schools and you just plug them in, that they actually will have bad experiences. And, you know, some of these arguments, I think, when made in good faith are like not are things that should be considered. Right. Like so like there's statistics that are put out about how black and Latino students, when they come in as freshmen, their desire to go into STEM fields is higher than all the other, you know, every other group of students. And then they generally don't go into, they sort of wash out of STEM, uh, STEM fields. And like there, that argument is saying that, well, at these elite schools, right? Like their preparation to be in these places because they did not go to these elite, you know, like, like sort of finishing schools, right? Like it, it's hard for them as freshmen, but generally they might catch yeah. up by the time that they're seniors. But like when you're a freshman and you're trying to take a biology class, and you're in this strange place, right? Like you've around a ton of white people around a ton of privilege that sometimes it's hard. Like, I don't know, like that type of argument I think should be considered. I don't think it's necessarily true, but sort of mirrors my experience of going to an elite college after like going to a big public high school. Like I was not prepared to take a freshman biology class at all. I don't know, Tammy, did you find that when you went to like, <laughs> I were was you definitely like, prepared. <laughs> right, right. Cause it's just like, like I like the kids that I had written like a three page paper you know? Yeah. The, <laughs> like it was the paper school. writing. I had a right. friend like basically tutor me my right. freshman year of college. So I got to, yeah, well, I got to vote. I took a class with Eddie Glaude, you know, who's now on like oh, MSNBC really? and everything like that. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, like, wait, yeah. the Princeton professor? Yeah, but yeah, he was okay. at Bowdoin at the time. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Eddie Glaude back then like talked in this way that was like so densely academic, like that it was impossible for me to figure out what he was saying. And now, now he doesn't speak in that sort of way because he's on MSNBC. But um, I so like the first class I took was like a religion class, and we read like Walzer or whatever. I had no clue. Like I would look at the books and I like could not read them. You know, I felt like I was illiterate. And so then I was trying to catch up in class while he was talking. Like I had I was 
dead like nothing <laughs> no penetration no so i wrote my for my first paper and he gave me like a c minus and he was basically like you have no idea how to write a paper and i was like i know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like i'm fucked man <laughs> you know so that first semester and i also took biology 101 my freshman year i got a d you know why did you take like, biology I, were you gonna because be i had to or? no no i had oh, to it was okay. like a required class and oh, so wow. like okay. i was I, my freshman year GPA was like a 1.5 or something like that. <laughs> and part of it was because I was just like, I don't want to be here. But the part of the reason why I was like, I don't want to be here was because like every single class I took was too hard for me, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. so like, is it inconceivable that, and you know, like I think that part of the reason why I got into Bowdoin was because of affirmative action because they didn't have any minorities, you know? And so like, is this like something that should be talked about? Sure. You know, is what Amy Wax said, Perhaps like, is she like telling the truth? I don't know because everything else she says is so racist that it's hard to trust her, you know? Um, But in the way she says it, it's like so malicious, you know, it doesn't, it's not an, it's not a simple observation about anything. Tammy, did you listen or watch the video? I know Jay did, but I didn't actually watch her. Like, I just couldn't like bear to watch it. I only know, I only, honestly only know about her because of you guys. Like, I don't know. I I haven't really heard about her. It's like the scholarship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting to that. Okay. So then what made Amy Wax even worse was that she gave one interview with Glenn Lowry after that controversy, right? Glenn Lowry, for those who don't know, is like a black conservative economist who's at Brown. Um, He does the Glenn show, which he usually does with John McWhorter. I listen to it quite a bit um, because it's part of my like listen to people I don't agree with type of diet, which, you know. It's quite healthy, but like, uh, I think that Glenn Lowry is like a person with a lot of intellectual integrity, right? Like I, I don't agree with almost anything he says, but like, he like, is a very, like, he believes in this like open discourse and like interrogate ideas thing. And he's very, very, very smart, you know? So the first time, um, Amy Wax or Amy Wax goes on Glenn Lowry show and like, she says basically, yeah, I said it. And the reason why is basically, and you know, like she basically just says like some people just don't have the genetic IQ based on their group that they're part of to do this. And we should give up this delusion. And we're like, wow, that's the most racist thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Amy Wax. (laughs) horrible. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that's the background. Now, Amy Wax is back in the news, right? Because Amy Wax went on Glenn Lowry show again, right? And then she said a whole bunch of crazy shit about Asian people. And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, so I'm going to read it. Can we say just like a quick note about her, like who she is, though, and what her scholarship looks like and stuff like that? Yeah, I don't know. Do you know? She Well, I was just looking her because after you guys told me about her, I was just looking at her resume and the kind of work she's done as a legal scholar. And it's interesting. I mean, she was in conservative administrations for the federal government and she writes on race. But she also has this long history of writing on social welfare. And right. she's a neurologist as well. She has an MD. Yeah. And her takes are very, so I just skimmed some of her law review articles and they're very, they're not like, they're not straightforwardly like all poor people are bad and like all brown and black people are bad, but they have this kind of insidious quality to them where she's using like liberal philosophy basically to attack yeah. certain aspects of the welfare state and stuff. So I, I was just curious if you guys were, were kind of familiar with that or whether that comes through in, in her interviews, because I mean, she well, apparently no, has this reputation. Yeah, I think the the bridge, between, the missing link between all this was uh, even before the 2018 interview um, with Glenn Lowry, she 
got in trouble for just talking about Western civilization. She wrote an op-ed yeah, about Western okay. civilization. Oh, yeah. So I think yeah. Western civilization and like classical liberal values, that's like the missing link. Yes, right. exactly. So it's, like, it's like Ben Shapiro, gotcha. basically. Right, yeah. It's like what Ben Shapiro always said. I yeah. see. Okay. Um, but, right. you know, Ben Shapiro is Ben Ugh. Shapiro and Amy Wax is, I mean, they're the same, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, ben Shapiro went to like Harvard Law School when he was like, what, 14 or something like that, right? And I think they're both the same, like, you know, gotcha. at some level, they probably have extremely high functioning brains. And then at, and they've used it to conclude, you know, they've just used it to basically become controls saying, it, you know, racist stuff all the time. I see. Um, okay. okay right. So on the Glenn Lowry show, which I will say, I listened to before this whole controversy, because I, I told you I listened to the Glenn show. And I was like, I, this never happens. I was like actually disgusted by what she said. Just, I was like, "What's going on? Am I becoming like a liberal or something?" The most like, recent one disgusted. disgusted. You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, this okay. is disgusting. Anyway, so we'll read what she says. Right? Um, she says the Democratic Party is a pernicious influence and in force and force in our country today. It advocates for quote wokeness demands equal outcomes despite clear individual and group differences in talent, ability, and drive. Mindlessly valorizes blacks. Um, which she says the group most responsible for anti-Asian violence, regardless of behavior, self-inflicted wounds, sneers at traditional family forms, undermines and disparages the advantages of personal responsibility, hard work and accountability and attacks the meritocracy. I confess I find Asian support for these policies mystifying as I've failed to see how they are in the Asians' interest. We can speculate (laughs) about Asians' desire to please the elite single-minded focus on self-advancement, conformity, and obsequiousness, lack of deep post-enlightenment conviction, timidity towards centralized (laughs) authority, indifference to liberty, lack of thoughtful and audacious individualism, and excessive tolerance for bossy, mindless social engineering. As long as most Asians support Democrats and help advance their positions, I think the United States is better off with fewer Asians and less Asian immigration. <laughs> like, I don't whoa, even know what whoa. is going on. So she says, like, that was her written up part. The thing that she actually said on the show was, like, even in some ways worse because it was even less wealth. It was less thought out, you know? Right. And she was basically saying that too many Asians are woke. You know, like that's the yeah. problem. It's like too many elite Asians are woke. And her uh, example was that like, listen, there are all these South Asian women who are doctors. Like they go through medical school and they go to the most elite institutions and they're on the front lines of wokeness talking about how bad America is and about all the systemic injustice mm. and everything like that. And if you think that that's so bad, why did you come here? And I was like, I whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh she's also kind of saying the quiet part out loud that a lot of conservatives probably think anyway right 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 and then yeah. it gets into like all the conversations we've had of of asian first and asian american first generation second generation asian americans were like yeah why are we with the democratic party because it's blah 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 like what's in right. it for us so right. in a weird way she's like it's all there's also like a very uncomfortable part of this as well right like she's right. not you know that's why we want. She's ta- also that's channeling some of the MR Asian stuff at the same time. Like what? Like attacking, like the part. Well, first of all, this sort of misogynistic attack, but also the whole thing about like elite Asians, you know, doing X, Looking Y, and Z, on. and not and sort of yeah, sneering on regular Asians, this sort of thing. But then she goes on a racist thing that isn't sneering like what MR Asians. <laughs> well, yeah, the all that. that the difference between that and other people who make that argument. 
you know, which sometimes, you know, includes me, is like that she <laughs> actually, her argument is that we should also get rid of all the poor Asians. Well, you know? that's she's the thing. Like, I know. Yeah. That's she's why like, there's a breaking point should, after yeah. that. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, they should be the first ones out the door, right. you know? And it's like, maybe we can keep some of them to run our IT, you know? <laughs> but like with their, you know, because that, that's a place where oh their like conformist God. Confucian minds would be best put to use. Well, is like, but then you know, Glenn Larry was system. also like, oh yeah, Asians do have technical minds. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. This wasn't Glenn. I will this say so that, horrible. you know, I will defend Glenn Lowry for most things, but this was not his best moment. I didn't I didn't see that. What did he say? I will not be listening to this guy. Well, so in the write up like of the interview. Her. Yeah. Right. And then he's like in the show notes, it's like Asians are technically minded. Yeah. Right. And he also was, history, history has proven. <laughs> he didn't really argue against. He didn't really. Like, yeah. Well, like, there's like I there's some things where I just like you know people always expect somebody to like uh, pick up their notebook and throw it in the face of the person they're interviewing and be like, "Excuse me, how dare you?" You know, and yeah. sometimes you can't do that. You know, sometimes it's better to ask follow up questions that allows the person to sort of hang themselves, which is what I think a charitable person uh, would say that Glenn Lowry did. I think most likely he's just so committed to this, like, we need civil discourse that when right. somebody says something so ragingly racist on a show that he's like, okay, that is an argument and let's interrogate it. <laughs> but he, it's, it's clear he doesn't agree with Amy Wax about this, you right. know? Um, but the reason why, I, the first thing I want to talk about about it, this is, is like, I don't know, is this like, this is clearly how a lot of people think of it. Like, you know, in some ways she's doing people a favor. This is like basically the subtext is what, Tucker Carlson says about the 1965 Immigration Act on a show once a week, right? He does. This is how a lot of people think about it. It's like, well, there's some smart Asians, but they're not that creative, you know, and they're not really American. And it sure does seem like the elite ones are like, you know, like pretending that like they're part of this multicultural coalition, even though like, you know, black people hate them, you know, like it's like a, that seems to be the common conservative argument against, against Asians, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's weird because I think she's saying like, um asians like their function in society right like the niche they serve in society is fine it's just that they because there's a lack of post-enlightenment conviction um and their timidity <laughs> towards central authority right vote for the wrong party um the party that goes against i don't know if you would think asians have these values but i'm sure many asians do have these values right of personal responsibility and hard work and so on and so forth right so right. i don't know she i mean maybe on the episode you listened to jade was she more committed on like what does she actually think about like, yeah 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 like he was like because glenn lauer was just like what do you mean like that's you know shouldn't stare at like what, what's wrong with having some like people who can add to the economy and you know offer yeah. like scientific and and engineering expertise and amy wax said but glenn does the spirit of liberty beat in their chest and i was just like oh my god <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's amazing but she's making broadly a, an anti-immigrant argument generally, because she right, also right, says right. there needs to be a focus on people who are already here, legacy people, which right. was like an so, amazing And all the low well. IQ people need to be gone is basically Yeah, so argument, it's, right? yeah, it's not just Asians, but Asians are here as a stand-in for a larger population. And then as it's, you were saying, Andy, the connection to the wokeness thing is sending her over the edge. <laughs> Yeah, Andy, are you offended by the by what Amy Wax said, person on a personal level? Wait, sorry, there's a smoke alarm going on in my house. Why wow, is your house burning? Oh, down? No, it's uh, very sensitive to the uh, kitchen. I think it's off now. Okay, Andy, are you offended by Amy Wax? <laughs> Am I offended? I mean, 
I guess. I don't know. It's like super racist, but I don't know if it's personal. It's, um, I don't know. I actually read a piece. I don't know if this is like totally speculative. It's on above the law talking about what to do about her. And it went into this whole like hmm. um, speculative thing about she just has mental issues. Like she just has issues with like wanting attention and um, she's just doing this to gain attention. And She's a troll. Uh, you know, it's like, it's obviously like horrible what she says. I guess this gets in the question like, well, what are the consequences of this? Um, um, especially with regards to like how, how much should the university do anything about it? Um, mm-hmm. Would this affect students? Um, you know, does this affect her ability to do her job? Is she just a random person saying this on, on you know, on some podcast nobody listens to? It's like, I guess that's um, harmless or not harmless, but you know, it's like you can kind of, you can kind of ignore it, right? Like that's all within the capacity of like right. what what's allowed. Um, but uh, by saying this stuff, like, is this undermining her ability to be an educator? Um, is this should this like should these ideas be allowed? In a place like Penn or you know at any good like you know decent university in the country, um, like it's it's like yeah. could you make the case that she says this, but and otherwise she is a perfectly good professor and treats all students equally? It's like I think it's kind of hard to uh, believe that, but you know, like yeah. this, is just, this is just a blog post, you know. It's like well, do I we don't can... know, but but it's th- but okay. To be it, fair, though. it's three blog posts, yeah. you know, <laughs> and they're not really blog posts. It's like. Uh, I don't, first of all, I think a lot of people listen to Glenn Lowry's Yeah, podcast. doesn't he have a big audience? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so. Although I don't know. It might, like if I was like, is it bigger than our podcast audience? I'd be like, yes. And then I'd be like, by how many magnitudes? It's like, I don't know. All podcasts are pretty small at some level, you know? Yeah. Except for the really big ones. And his is not a really big one. But, I mean, the stuff she said about Western civilization, I mean, like that wasn't a blog post, right? Like that's just like sort of repeated. That was not fed in the Philly Inquirer. Yeah. Well, and it right, seems like right. it's embedded in her scholarship again. So it's, you know, it's, she's writing books and law review articles that reflect this ideology as well. And I'm pretty, I think that one of the things that Penn did was that, that she no longer teaches classes. Yeah. The, cl- so the class that she was teaching. classes. The one L class, for example, uh-huh, where she yeah. said that, like, she obviously is not teaching that anymore. Yeah. Because how could she? You know, if I was a serious, I mean, if I like, it's not even if I was a black student. If I was a student in that class, I would just be like, "Fuck you!" You know, <laughs> like, I'm not listening to a thing you said. Say <laughs> so you're like so fucking racist. You know, like it's a, uh, and you know, but I think that I would just, you know, as a if I was in law school, I would just not take that class, I guess, right? Or um, yeah, but I don't know. Well, like, it's 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 difficult. So I think she's been marginalized by the administration for those remarks in 16 and 18, such that she's like persona non grata there other than, you know, she pulls a paycheck and she's on the faculty and she can, you know, mm-hmm. um, claim she's a Penn professor. But I think at Penn, you know, they don't, I think for the most part, people just pretend she doesn't exist. Um, and she just, you know, and, and so if you're a student, I mean, I was actually kind of thinking about this. If the class is not mandatory, does she still offer any classes? And if could you look into the enrollments, you know, see how many? Because are there actually like ten students taking her classes? Do they I don't think she teaches she, any. She, I don't think she teaches she any teach classes right now. Wow! Yeah. So she's not, just making she just, six well, figures for nothing, I guess. It's the, a great deal for her. Maybe this was yeah, her plan all along. Maybe she's like, I have tenure. I'll just say a bunch of crazy racist shit, right. <laughs> and they're gonna take my classes <laughs> away, and I don't have to grade any more papers. I don't know. I don't know what her <laughs> what her deal is. It's I like mean, she. It's, she like is teaching classes. Duty. I'm looking at her her class load now. 
Is there enrollment? I mean, she maybe the students just don't seminars. know who she is. I don't know what the enrollment oh. is, but she taught like conservative law, conservative political and legal thought in fall of 2020. It shows me at least. Okay. Oh, you can just say that. Conservative. <laughs> conservative yeah. political and legal thought. You can just say like, oh, that's well. definitely teaching the You're teaching the future <laughs> Supreme Court justices of America. For <laughs> real. Oh my God. Like any, any conservative in law school is like, you know. It's like they're they're on the fast track to becoming because there's only like nine yeah. of them. I guess if you're in the Federalist Society, you probably would take your class, right? So yeah, if you're feds, yeah, I don't know. Sure. I don't know this, Tammy. You tell me. Like, are all the fed sock kids like they all get clerkships and stuff like that, right? If they're like at a top ten law school, because there's not that many of them, and there's like far more people who want to like go be a public defender than people who are like willing to admit they're conservative or whatever. <laughs> Well, I think there is a grooming, yeah, there is a grooming mechanism. And then also I think like if a conservative judge sees the FedSoc affiliation and the application, they'll be excited about that. So there's also the conservative judges that yeah. will just cham- be channeled toward. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I just realized too, this is our second uh, second segment episode on a shitty law professor at an Ivy League school because <laughs> we no. had Ramsire too. <clears throat> oh, right. oh, I was going to say, and we haven't even talked yeah. about J- Amy Chua yet. Yeah, that's right. Oh, geez. Yeah, there's so many. No, but there are all these, there's these law professors at all these fancy schools that are really just right. throwing shit. So I was thinking <laughs> about writing a, I, I, was, I still might do this, but I was considering writing a in defense of tiger parenting piece. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I had yeah. that thought when I read the book. <laughs> I know. I was like, look, you guys I don't are. Know. <laughs> it's not, kid, it's just like it's true. You know, I just thought That's about it. true. You know, my mom, my, uh, one of my friends, her friend, their five year old is in Kumon. I think I talked about this on the podcast. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you were me. jealous. Yeah. And I was jealous because I was like, <laughs> oh my God. You know, like, and then I was like, I need to drill this out of my head. Then I was like, why am I drilling it out of my head? You know, why? So I can like fit in better with like the, you know, Berkeley bourgeoisie, you know, who's just like, I don't know, it'll be fine. You know, it's fine. Take underwater basket weaving or take like, you know, you can just put on plays based on Bertolt Brecht in my living room for the rest of your life. You know, like that's what I'm supposed to do. And then there's part of me that's still like hardwired me. No, fuck that. You know, but did you go to Kumon? No, but that's why I'm in this position now. You know? Oh my God. I'm so bad. I, like, I fuck. You wish <laughs> like, that your parents I, had been tiger parents. So now you're going to take the place of the first. Like, you're yeah. going to take the place of the first generation because you had. Like if, <laughs> Tammy, you had this back. You had this like, you had this, uh, you had this backdrop where you have like a prestigious law degree. You know, I had like a 2.1 GPA in college. Like I couldn't do anything. You know, like I have no backdrop. If this doesn't work out for me, I'm done. You know? <laughs> I've just been extremely, I've been extremely lucky that this has worked out for me very well. You know, but if this hadn't worked out, I was fucked. You know? <laughs> I just remember part of that book where she like burns her daughter's guitar or whatever. <laughs> she has like guitar. That's not that. proper Asian. I'll, anyway, I'll admit, I've never read the book. Maybe she did a we could do a book club on that. Oh my god, do, okay, that would be good. hilarious. We'll put a pin in that. We're also supposed to watch uh, Station Eleven. Justin Charity, um, loyal listener, wrote and said, "Can we please? Can you please talk about Station Eleven? And so we should do that. Um, okay. I don't know what Station Eleven is. Okay. I kind of do, but apparently it's, it's pretty crazy. It's a television show. I've never heard um, of that. Okay. So I'll continue my show of only my streak of only watching TV shows because of this show. And Andy um, will watch it at two times the speed. Yeah, Andy watch it at two <laughs> times the speed and like four. I promise I won't. I actually went. I thought about the way that I watched uh, the chair 
you know yeah where like if you remember like i like i i picked out certain characters and every time they're in the screen i just fast forward you guys are so bad at watching things (laughs) i think that's a bad way to watch a television show i don't think i actually got the chair because of that okay anyway after all of that our point here we have two points the first thing we want to discuss is Okay, so some people are saying that Amy Wax should no longer be tenured. Andy, you're the academic amongst us. What do you think about this? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So the people who are saying that they're Philly politicians, interesting, like, I, so there's black politicians, so I'm pretty sure are Democrats, but then there's the prominent David O, who I think is a Korean-American Republican. Yeah, um, and they're all, yeah. yeah, they're all coming together to say <laughs> she should not have tenure. And then, so this is the question, like, what should you know, specifically me as an academic, but I guess, you know, people on the human and the humanities and the world of arts and letters, right. Should they, should we defend tenure for her in the sense that, you know, if we take, if Penn takes away her tenure, could that be used against people who we actually do agree with? Um, And even in the report in the Philly Inquirer mentioned these famous examples, Um, Mark Lamont Hill at Temple um, tweeted something, tweeted in support of Palestine and was- Well, he tweeted from the river to the sea. Right, right, which would people Could saw be, that yeah. as a yeah, right. genocidal comment or whatever. You wrote a book right. about Palestine recently. Right. Right. So he was demonized, or mm-hmm. not demonized, what's the word? Um, censured or whatever, but not, he kept his tenure. And the famous one in the region is George Sicarella Ma- yeah. Mauer, who right. was a Drexel professor who tweeted a you know, pretty bad joke about white genocide that, but it was, oh, yeah. it was a joke. And then right. it was, yeah. But he kept his tenure. But eventually he got bullied so much by the sort of right wingers that he just resigned on his own and the university basically didn't support him. Yeah. And yeah. I think I mean I think that George example, the George I don't know how to say his last name, Sicarella Mauer, um, that kind of speaks to this broader question of like, is tenure actually a defense of free speech? Like even even if you have tenure, like because George technically was not never denied tenure. He just wasn't, he was, his life was just made miserable by the administration mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and by the sort of outside people until he resigned. And that's kind of what I guess Penn is trying to do with Amy Wax. Yeah. Um, maybe like they would be happy if she resigned tomorrow and they're making that. Oh, they'd be over the moon right. if she resigned. Exactly. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, well, sorry. What, what is like sanctions or censure? Cause I also read in the Inquirer that the Dean of Penn Law School now is considering a faculty Senate review of Wax. Right. That could sanction her. So what what is sanction, censure, and revocation no of tenure? Okay. I have no idea. Maybe it's like one strike and maybe Yeah, I just wondered like with Mark Lamont Hill, I didn't understand what the kind of censure meant. Like I think, it's a black so, spot on his resume or whatever. Yeah, I think there is a line mm-hmm. that you if you cross it, they can take away tenure and that's totally uh-huh. within the bounds of like the law. You know, like uh-huh. if you really like do something harmful or hurtful or illegal or something. Um I think the reason to defend tenure, so there's like a free speech argument to defend tenure, right? Like, uh, you yeah. know, I saw uh, another professor at Penn made this argument, Jonathan Zimmerman, which seems to me a little um, overly idealistic, idealistic, saying, well, if Amy Wax believes these racist things, then we should have a debate about it. And we should actually like have a discussion about it. And the marketplace of ideas should decide. And we shouldn't have a chilling effect on discourse and so on and so forth, right? And to me, that's just like, that's just naive about, like, you don't actually need Amy Wax to have those discussions. Um, And also, like, the marketplace of ideas isn't actually being protected. It's really like society kind of comes up with what you can say and what you can't say, (laughs) um, regardless of tenure. I think the, you know, there's a piece um, that I I sent you all from, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, Greg 
Afinojinov. Um, he is a historian at Georgetown yeah. who wrote a piece about tenure that I think was pretty a pretty good one. He was saying like basically there's two justifications for tenure. One is the free speech one, but he says that's shaky. And like history shows, like if an administration really doesn't like what you have to say, they'll do something to you. Yeah, like in and the second one is just economic. That like what tenure represents is economic security for faculty. Um, and I think on that grounds, like that is that is like that's that's worth defending, right? Like this stuff is really just about like who has power, and tenure is like one small step in like helping faculty like maintain um, mm-hmm. some sort of uh, maintaining a paycheck, maintaining a sort of a living against administrations that are trying to kind of take away take away those positions and kind of make the workforce as flexible and um, kind of uh, temporary as possible. But then, you know, so I was thinking, yeah, like me, the academic, I was talking to my friend about this. Me, we, the academics, should defend tenure because that's like our jobs are on the line or our yeah. economic well-being is on the line. But then again, it's like, is that a leftist position? You know, is I that see. like a, is that a position for good or is it just like we are defending our own security? Oh, but that's okay. also legitimate, right? I mean, also because at private universities, faculty aren't allowed to unionize under the current National Liberal right. Relations Act. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it, it's another way of, of having some sort of protection. Yeah. I mean, I think also I wanted to bring up like Ender um, in Greg's article. Right. There's also kind of a sub argument about it being about free speech, but also a civic role in society. He, he groups those together. And I, I feel like in the WAC situation, that's also something that's important to consider. Like, we want to protect our academics and scholars' free speech because we also want them to inject these ideas into the public discourse and to enrich our lives. We also see them as people who are role models for our youth, et cetera, et cetera, right? And when you have a figure like Wax, where that break that breaks down so completely, like right. what what then are you protecting? I feel like is an interesting question. Right. right. He the thing that he writes is like within and beyond the academy, workers are routinely fired and harassed for political speech or for organizing. The unique status of certain academics has become harder to defend on intellectual or political grounds now than in the mid 20th century. The tenured professional uh, right, is much richer. Professoriate, right, is much richer, wider, and more male dominated than the rest of the academy. Let alone the population of large humanist academies, uh, academics today recognize in a way they're 1940 present, not that socially marginal, blah, 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 right? Um, but basically yeah. arguing that, like, um, you know, that that it is important to have these positions. I don't know. Tammy, what do you think? Is it important to have tenured professors? Like, should we tolerate Amy Wax because we want to protect <laughs> the people on the left who are going to be attacked for sure? You know, I mean, you saw this with all the CRT stuff, right? It's yeah. not like, it's not professors at Harvard that are being attacked for the CRT stuff. If, if it's higher ed people, it's like people teaching at community colleges and stuff like that, right? And like nobody gives a shit about them in the press, so they're just wiped out. It doesn't matter. Like nobody yeah. cares, right? And yeah. so, like, is what like is having this sort of robust protection of it important to also protect the people who like are actually to be affected by this? I guess I don't have any problem with the pen <clears throat> dean saying that they're going to put her through this review because of the egregiousness of the comments and the fact that she's basically not teaching anyway. Right. Like. You know, and and again, like with the whole civic role thing, I think like that's really important. Like she is basically like not a citizen in good standing within the community, you know, but and I and I don't know whether subjecting her to faculty senate review means that we're threatening tenure 
writ large. Like generally I do support tenure and I think it's really important for academic discourse in this country. I just, you know, and I right. think like, like right now I'm in Korea where there's like a mandatory retirement age for professors. I think it's at 65 um, and everyone's out. And now people are living a very long time and that's like raising a lot of questions for folks. And right. I think like in general, it, that has been a decent policy because it does clear out space for new academics to come in. But you know, that, can, that it can also be a harassing function in some ways for older academics. So I don't know, I'm a bit torn. I just don't, I, I think I would say I do support tenure. I don't think that, you know, criticizing yeah. her or censuring her is really going to affect it for very many people. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, what Greg is saying, I think is he's actually saying, I think what, what, I, what I think he's saying is defending tenure for people who have tenure now is not a leftist position. That's just defending, sure. letting the elites keep the elites. And yeah, this is mostly for response to, to kind of clarify what the quote was about. He was saying, to actually make this a leftist position, you would have to say even non-tenured faculty should have these protections. protections yeah. And obviously the the sort of obvious counterexample would be like grad students who teach mm-hmm. and you right. know, are in the news for basically be, like Columbia basically being harassed by the administration for for going mm-hmm. on strike right. and demanding better conditions. Um, and they're treated in a way that fa- tenured faculty wouldn't. So. So I think that's what I was trying to, trying to say before. Like defending Amy Wax isn't really about, I will say it's not, this is about more about yeah. my self-preservation than I think it's any sort of like <laughs> leftist cause, right? I think to make it a leftist cause or some sort of, to tie to any sort of bar, broader politics, I think that's what, that's what Greg is saying is it can't just be about defending an ever-shrinking circle uh, of people who are probably, you know, the most well-off within the administration, within the university yeah. to begin with. And just saying like, well, that's a starting point for everyone else is probably not enough because that is kind of the position of the university. That's been the position for like decades, right? Like um, we should leave the system as is. We should give the tenured faculty all the protections. And that's a starting point. Well, it's not a starting point because the number of faculty who are tenured is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking as administrations try to cut costs, cut costs, cut costs, right? So mm-hmm. um, I think Greg is kind of asking for something more radical than, talk, mm-hmm. that, than talking about yeah. tenure. Which I don't know what that actually looks like, but I think it was actually it was clarifying for me to say like, yeah, I think I want tenure, but like no, I don't want to like mistake this for like socialism, you know? Yeah, I just want, oh, yeah. I just want job yeah. security. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know. I I think about it. It's like, look, I said my. Like at some level, I'm just like you know, Amy Wax should, if the university agreed that this is part of the, um, agreement, right? That this is the, these are the terms of tenure, then they should stick by it. Right. And they, you know, even if she's saying horrifically racist stuff and I don't buy all the sort of like trauma and harm arguments, you know, being like, Oh, any institution with Amy Wax in it is going to like make the kids not feel more welcome at like, come on. You, you don't know? think that? Like, no, I don't believe that. Like, I think that, and you know, I think some of the politicians have said like, you know, well, a lot of co- students of color may not come to Penn Law School yeah. if Amy Wax is part of the faculty. I don't believe that either. You know, like people are gonna if they can go to Yale and prestige driven monsters, right? And if they can go to <laughs> Yale instead of Penn. They'll be like, "Fuck <laughs> Penn!" You know, I didn't go to Penn because of Amy Wax. Was, you know, I just I was gonna go there, but it's just like bullshit. You know, but if it's between going to Penn and going to I don't know, like the university, that like any of like a second tier law school or something like that, or even one like three spots below Penn. I don't know how prestigious Penn is, like relative to other ones. They're all gonna go to Penn. Right? Am I wrong, Tammy? Like this is how okay. the law yes. profession works. Sure, and that's so, true. But also, so, they did have to take away her one L teaching rights because there was this 
thing. Right. About, no, like, I'm yeah, not. I don't. Within I don't the class, think, right? I don't think she should be teaching classes. You know, I just. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just trying to dismiss right. no, some arguments out of hand before. Yeah. You know, like, I don't of, buy that. This like yeah. hurt, like penumbra does it harm? harm thing is not right. Right. Like, does it make Penn Law School look bad? Yeah, it makes Penn Law School look bad. But I don't give a shit if Penn Law School looks bad. <laughs> you know, like, like who cares? I don't go there. I wasn't an alumni. You know, like even if I was, I have no investment in like what the. And like whether or not Amy Wax is making it like good or bad, you know, like um, and so those concerns, I don't think are particularly real. Right. Like, I don't think that like having Amy Wax is like now freaking out all the Asians, you know, because she said something <laughs> bad about Asians. Like they probably never see her, you know. Um, and if they did, they're just, you know, maybe they'll just yell at her. It's like, are they really going to get in trouble? For, like, no, you know, like, yeah. like whatever. Like, you know, sometimes it's good to see somebody racist and yell at them. You know, it's satisfying or something like that. It's not like traumatizing necessarily, like at the beginning. Right. So those arguments I don't buy um, yeah. now. And so I don't know. I generally think in the end, it's like, I don't know, like you kind of made this agreement. You should abide by it now. You know, one of the people that you cited, Andy, is making this argument like we should vigorously debate every single idea. And that's like, OK, no, yeah. you know, we don't need to we do not need to debate like eugenics. Right. You know, we don't eugenics, need to like we don't bad. need to. Yeah, we don't need to debate like, you know, like like um, slavery, you know, is it hopeless for for black and Latino students? Or are they just too dumb to get through like my class, you know, like because of genetics and yeah. because like they're from sub-Saharan Africa or they're from like, no, you don't have to debate that, you know, right. nor should you like that right. stuff is repulsive and it's disproven. And it's ridiculous to argue, you know, yeah. but at the same time, it's just like, I don't know, you made a 10 year agreement with her and it seems <laughs> like it's like so like and this is where the pragmatic part comes in. It's just like how much pain are you going to go through, you know, to remove this person's tenure, right? Is it worth it, right? Yeah. And then what message are you sending broadly about tenure? Which, you know, I don't know. I've also been, I don't really give a shit about tenure, but like, you know, like, like <laughs> how much of a field day are you going to give to like right wingers about this, you know, like, and like, is it worth it? Like, right, isn't yeah. it better just to marginalize her forever? Her only platform is going on Glenn Lowry's show. You know, it's like the only time that she can like have an audience. There's hundreds of thousands of dollars to keep this person marginally employed, though, too, right? I mean, yeah, I don't yeah. care about that. That's either. ridiculous. Yeah, I, mean, I know. I, yeah, yeah. like it's it's know. not a public institution. As a you know? principled ma matter of principle, I mean, that's it's no, but I mean, really I think that's important to have because someone like that on a payroll. But I think, well, okay, yeah, I guess there's a question of like, who do you, who are you like sponsoring, advocating right. for? But that, that minor question, I think, is the heart of the matter, which is like, why is this worth defending? It isn't right. because we want to preserve our marketplace of ideas, because we don't believe that's, like, we're not naive enough to believe that's real. And we know that gets circumscribed all the time. It's more about defending, you know, because up until now, she did get, yeah. she did earn her job. Like, she did work to get a job and deserves a salary. You know, as as much as we hate to admit it, right? So, right. The, the, like the rest of us who also um, are in that system and expect some sort of economic security at the end of it, should also support her still having it. As I, I think, I think, yeah, I think detaching free speech from economic security in my mind was actually very clarifying because I don't really, again, I'm not, I don't really care about defending her free speech, and I don't really think that, um, I don't really think like a lot of academics ever verge into this territory where they say something too racy you know like for most of us it's really like tenure yeah. and all this stuff is right. right but the ones who do is specifically about israel palestine right. i think yeah. that's like yeah. put out the paint almost immediately you know yeah. 
And so, I don't know, I'm the opposite, Andy. Like, I don't really care how much you academics make. You know? <laughs> it seems like your job is, you know, I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't care. But, you know, like, I have a lot of respect for academics that I didn't, like, five years ago, I would say, really sort of improved in that sort of way. But, like, um, but, you know, um, I, don't, I think the two are linked. You know, I don't yeah, think I that, think so. I don't think, I don't think you can really separate the two. Right, like, um, but you just because well, the fear of saying something in some ways is the fear of of impoverished of being impoverished, right? Like, right, yeah, just like, right, yeah, they're tied. But at the same time, like you, what you had just said, like, and I agree, right, that this whole um, idea, like, we need a marketplace of ideas to debate, you know, culture of poverty and stuff, right? Like, you yourself say you don't really think we need that. You know, well, like, I don't think we need the stuff that Amy Wax said specifically. I don't right. think that we need to debate that now. Um, uh, specifically about the stuff about like IQ and race, you know, like, I don't right. think that needs to be discussed at all. Right. Now, did some of the stuff that she said about like Asian conformity need to be discussed? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Right. Now, does the question of like, um, is there a type of elite Asian, uh, immigrant who comes over and sort of like, uh, does sort of participate in a form of wokeness as a way to like integrate themselves with like a liberal elite sure you know but we've already we're already discussing that yeah. you know <laughs> like it's not like amy wax needs to like yeah. say say it in the most racist way possible to have that conversation so i just find her personal contribution to the marketplace of idea to be like zero <laughs> you know like i just think it's zero like i don't think like it's not even an interesting form of racism right like there's some people who say racist <laughs> stuff and you're like well that is a you know like that is an interest like you know like somebody <laughs> like like so rob amari or something like that right like these are like hungarian um like uh nationalists right like they're like at least that's like intellect like you know you can disagree with it but at least like it gets your brain moving you know right. like, this is just like putrid stuff like, right. it's like very basic <laughs> nasty shitty racism um but i don't know i still don't think that she should lose her tenure um right. i mean if we were to take tenure seriously as like what i was suggesting as a sort of labor mechanism in place of unions because the you know private right. sector faculty can't have unions then this would be analogous to a situation that you see often in unionized settings where you know there's a stereotypical thing about like oh there's this really bad worker and do we have to use the union mechanism to protect this bad worker whatever the badness is yeah. right and so you know in, in that sense you could see this as a kind of left mechanism that you want to be able to have and is the, some I mean, way is the to answer... protect people right is the answer always yes? We have to protect the bad worker. I mean, I think generally it. I think generally yeah. it is in the sense that it doesn't mean that every single person should be protected from employment under all circumstances, but right. it means that a union fundamentally does have a job to do, which is to protect its workers and to make sure they have due process and termination, yeah. et cetera. Right. And so, in this kind of case, you would subject an Amy Wax type figure to right. this, you know, whatever three step procedure before they got fired, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think the most egregious example is uh, I don't know if you have you all heard of Arthur Butts. He's a Northwestern. Yeah, no. I think he's in engineering, and I think after he got tenure, he became like a Holocaust denier. Oh, just, oh was, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I don't know. He may have retired by now, but it was like the worst example of this. And yeah. the administration over and over was like, "We hate this." This man. is the guy who was blogging about the Holocaust, right? right? He like wrote pamphlets. I, or, I think he wrote. I, I don't know who published yeah. them, but you know. He wrote right. long. Yeah. He has a whole Wikipedia page about. He waited until gotcha. he got tenure, and then he was like, "Are we sure the oh Holocaust happened?" <laughs> oh my god! But I think that is probably like the extreme example. Of, that, like, Andy, what takes do you have that are oh, that, that you're ready to <laughs> unleash once you get tenure? I will come on this podcast though. 
<laughs> yeah, just drop them. You know, I don't know. You know, um, the um, yeah, I don't know. The the last thing I want to talk about with this subject is basically like a um. This is one of the things that I thought during it. I want you to respond to it, which is just like, all right, we're currently going through this thing where like there's a parent revolt in a lot of ways, right? against schools right and the way and you heard glenn youngkin today i think say like parents uh need to have more control over how schools over public schools right um like we are going to rebuild america with parents right and what it is is that it is a customer you know a lot of people on the left have pointed this out this is not a new thing but i think they're right it's like there's a customer driven idea about education right basically like if we don't like something then we should have input and we can change fundamentally change the whole system. Right. And, um, you know, like the question then becomes like, if you don't like what somebody like Amy Wax says, right. Like, are you sort of, are you also participating in a customer driven thing? Higher education right now is 100% a customer driven institution, right? Like the, the students are the customers, faculty are the, um, you know, yeah. they're like the service providers in some it's sort of way. That way. But yeah, it's definitely that way. I mean, like, you know, the, the building of the administration to basically make sure that every student complaint is like heard yeah, and everything right. like that. Right. Like that's why a lot of the reason, why, not a lot, but some of the reason why tuition numbers are going up. Right. Because they have to hire all these different administrators, everything like that. And I would say I would sort of reject it on that sense. You know, right. I mean, like, well, I see. like we can't like I don't think that we should allow parents to have a quorum and allow seven crazy people to scream and say like you know reading beloved is like you know horrible you know mm-hmm. or like reading like or like reading something like i don't know even something as like like persepolis or something being like these are all you know this is how you train people to become terrorists like crazy shit that people say right and the way that these school, the way that these school boards operate is that a small group of people can have an amazing effect you know right i went i lived through this you know like uh, when i was in seventh grade there's a teacher at our school who was gay in the high school not at the school i was at and he tried to have some of the kids read some books by gay people you know and like something like 10 parents like funded by some outside group obviously came in and basically oh threw, threw a giant fit about it you know yeah it's chapel hill like you know like they're uh-huh. like like that's not like a it's a progressive town right and everybody had to fucking deal with these people putting up this fucking shit. We had to have all these meetings about it. You know, some people like vandalized like the entire school property and all the school buses, you know, being, you know, like all sorts of horrible homophobic shit about this, you know, and um, this stuff is horrible, you know. And so I don't know, like I my brain is very smooth on th- that, these types of things. And, you know, like I, I, I hear that <laughs> criticism, but I'm basically just like, well, if they're we shouldn't do what they're doing. You know, like that's basically the way that I think about things, you know, and um, unless we can locate some specific type of harm. Right. And like I said, I just don't really see the massive harm, you know, like like yeah, I don't think she's I don't think she's traumatizing like the students who are there. You know, I think they hate her. I think they should hate her, right. you know, but like, you know, is there like some massive harm at having her at this institution? I think that if you sort of start making that argument, then you're sort of stretching things a bit, you know? Yeah. You're like, oh, well, are they protecting other like crypto fascists? And it's like, <laughs> it seems to be pretty <laughs> far out there, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my argument. One, one of the articles, one of the people commenting on this was saying like, yeah, that would be the basis, right? It isn't what she said, but also like the effects, but also like, how do you judge that? That's not up to Penn to decide. That's not for anyone. To, it's up to, it's, you require, it requires like a due process through an outside 
you know, group or whatever. And I guess this, you know, um, gets at the question of like, I don't know, what's the distinction like at will employment versus um, do like with cause or something like firing Mm -hmm. with cause versus firing at will. And so this again, gets the question of like tenure. The point of tenure is that it it raises the bar so high that it is like the, um, it it is, uh, it is the like uh, quintessential form of, what totally. the ultimate job security right yeah right but but like mm-hmm. to get back to this question of like um uh, thinking about tenure from economic terms which is mm-hmm. in a way that connects it to like professions outside of the outside, outside of the academy as well yeah. right um yeah so it's like whether that the only basis would be like does it cause any harmful effects and that would have to require like outside like not pen can't decide that because they're they have a stake in firing her so, so they're trying to create all these safeguards to give her protection. And um, I don't know. I think I could see a scenario where, you know, the harms could be proven. Like, it seems pretty fucked up to have her on the faculty. But, um, you know, you I could mean, also... I think also could keeping real- with that whole analogy of, like, what is a- appropriate for censure or termination, it's, like, when you can't fulfill your job duties. And, like... Right. And- I think that the question here is like, is is a professor who is essentially unable to teach because she's she's basically telling, yeah, yeah, because she's fundamentally so racist that a certain percentage of the population is unteachable by this human. Is that actually a person who can fulfill the job duties of tenured professor? And it seems like that's probably not the case. Okay, I buy that. Yeah, I wouldn't. (laughs) I wouldn't. I would walk out of her class. You know. Yeah, because I, I would. I would do one of those. Like, I support your right to still have this job but i'm not listening to a fucking word you said yeah. <laughs> like i'm thinking about like a unionized like, call center employee it's so lame you know yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Right, like right, a unionized right. call center employee is like sorry i can only take calls from white people like right, i feel like right. they're not gonna make it you know <laughs> or if the union or the unionized call center person just keeps saying racist stuff you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like nobody wants to talk right <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But, don't know. you know, she's not teaching anyway, right? Or I guess she is. But, I think she um, formally offers classes. I don't know who signs up. But again, there are, like you said, the sort of Neil Gorsuch's of the world and uh, who would want to take the class. So, Yeah. Right. Well, Tammy, I don't know. I buy your argument. You know, I think part of my annoyance about this stuff is when the harms are extrapolated to a point where, like, they sort of lose credibility. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's sort of a, but I shouldn't allow that to like cloud my judgment because I'm like pretend I'm like making up things that people say that are annoying, you know. <laughs> Although I don't think I'm making it up. Like these arguments have been made. No, that's what the politicians are, are saying, yeah. but the politicians right. are just yeah, you know, they're not going right. for the lowest hanging fruit. But I do agree. Like you're just like, well, I don't know, Amy. Like you can't. No one seems to want to take your class because you're so racist. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> the only people who want to take your class are really racist, and, you know. Like, so you're gonna have three kids every class, you know. It's the racist kids, and I'm not sure we need to expend a faculty spot to only teach the three racist kids every year. You yeah. know, it seems like preferential treatment for the racists. Um, I don't know. Anyway, um, anything else to say about this? Uh, do you want to tie to your Marjorie Taylor Greenpeace at all, or? No, because yeah. that was mostly about tech, you know, and I don't know. I think I've explained my um, thoughts about, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I just I have this thing where I'm just like, I maybe I'm being delusional, but like, I feel like we're really slipping quite a bit in terms of speech issues. And um, do you want to you know, just I, say quickly what your op-ed was? Yeah, I argued that like basically that that 
like there's too much like something has happened with a discourse about speech on where like the where like the donk or like the way in which people say that's not a free speech issue has become such a like like basically somebody needs to be put in jail by the government for people to believe that it's a speech issue right now that in some ways is good right because uh protecting speech is also about basically moving the bar far far away and allowing a lot of different types of stuff but i think that that sort of ignores the way in which tech has invaded our lives and basically you know controls every speech that we do mm-hmm. every step of making this podcast for example relies on tech companies right some of them very very big so like we're on zoom right now we're on zencaster <laughs> you know we're going to upload it to apple right we're going to upload it to like different dropbox this is our files every single step of every communication that any human being has outside of face-to-face communication these days is mediated through a tech company right and that um yeah. sort of allowing them to say oh, well, we made a terms of service and somebody violated the terms of service and so we can do whatever we want, right? Like, that's true. That makes it not a freedom of speech issue. It's not a First Amendment issue. But that's kind of the problem, right? Like that, like we have these companies basically acting as governments, basically, with the ambition of becoming governments, right? Which is what Facebook is <laughs> yeah. doing in the third world right now or the developing world in a lot of ways, When, and especially in the countries where they provide all of the internet service right like they completely control what every single person reads and so when you have these tech companies with the ambitions of basically functioning like governments and that like it should not be an argument on the left to basically be like this person who's like a fucking lunatic who just keeps tweeting like covid nonsense right that like you defend the tech company's censure of somebody by saying like, oh, well, you know, she's on the bad side and therefore we're going to just point to the terms of service. Like the way right. that we hear about terms of service in the past is when when the tech companies were allowing all sorts of terrible stuff to, to happen and they're like, oh, it's a terms of service, you know, or they're like doing things like the <laughs> Facebook news feed and they're like, it's a terms of service. We, you know, we can't stop it. Right. Like, so why is there this selective defense of terms of service? Right. Like, I think that's crazy, you know. And so um, my argument is essentially just that, uh, you know. We should just not care about Marjorie Taylor Greene's Twitter account, right. but we should also just say, like, you know, it's it's much better to have a, you know, in some ways I'm talking about people's individual responses, right? Like, um, it's better for everyone to have like a broad sort of acceptance of all speech, I think, you know, um, as but- a way to not like sort of justify and like do PR for the tech companies because that's essentially what that's all this is. You know, right, like right. that's all the that's all taking away our Twitter account is. It's just PR for the well, tech company. Don't you think that? I mean, their accusation was that she was spreading stuff that could actually harm people, right? Like, don't yeah. take the vaccine. Um, and so this goes back to like, well, did, did Amy Wax just say racist stuff, or is it actually affecting her ability to like do her job and affects real life people? So, do you think that if it's credit, like, let's say you just, let's say you believe the statement that Marjorie Taylor Greene's Twitter account prevented a lot of people from getting the COVID vaccine? Do you think that's grounds for them to do anything? Well, the, the example is that you can't yell fire in a crowded mo- movie theater, right? Right, and so mm-hmm. people are saying that like okay, sure, Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene spreading COVID misinformation is yelling fire in a movie theater, right? I don't buy that analogy at all. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, Why? first of all, you would have to basically have like seventeen people, or out of like a thirty-four. 
or 30, 42 person theater screaming fire at all times, right? Like that's a percentage of the population that believes this stuff, right? It's not only her, right? Um, the idea that like she made some singular speech act that no, that you can't find anywhere else is completely not true, right? Like there's COVID misinformation everywhere. Right? Sure. There's vaccine misinformation everywhere. Um, and to treat it like if we get rid of one person, like this is also part of the problem, right? Like if you turn it individualized and you turn it into a Marjorie Taylor Greene thing, then it allows the tech companies to be like, well, we dealt with this. You know, we got rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene. We got rid of one account, right? And meanwhile, if you look on any social media outlet, like there's tons of COVID misinformation yeah. everywhere, you know? And so like, um, I don't really buy that, the, the fire in a, in a then- crowded movie theater thing. Now, if it's about speech actions that can lead to the harm of people, right? All sorts of stuff is out there. Yeah. Like, where do you draw that line? Right. Like, um, like, do you ban people who are like pro war? You know, (laughs) like, you know, like, where where do you where do you put it? Hmm. And so like, there's no clear line here. And so my sense of it as once again, a very smooth brain so free then, speech absolutist is that like, you should just allow all of it. <laughs> so there's no line. There's no line over which she got crossed that would justify. Or like, if she was like, there's like, you know, if she said something like the, there's like an insurrection of people marching on like, you know, like someplace in Georgia and they're going to kill a bunch of people and uh, they all have guns. So arm yourselves and start shooting like people of a certain race or a certain background or yeah, that's, you know, that's fire in a crowded movie theater, right? Like COVID misinformation. It's like, it's everywhere, right? Like it's, it's not, it's not a singular thing. But then you're still drawing a line. You're just kind of moving the line to a different degree. What do you mean? It's more direct or personal. Yeah, you're you're saying like their def- definition is too narrow. You should expand it, but you're still saying at some point there's a line that you, you that you would cross, right? Yeah, you should keep the definition as narrow as possible. Is my argument. It seems like you're adhering to like a criminal, almost a criminal version of it. Like in other words, like law, right. something that right. would make law enforcement get involved. Like this is a direct threat to these particular identifiable individuals. Other right. than that, it's free speech that should be protected. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean. It's not I think a radical it's hard. argument. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but I think that the, my biggest, my larger point was about tech companies, right? Like, just like right. not enable them. And if you think that there's some sort of benevolent or like they're like conflicted humans, like teenagers right. or something like that, who can be coaxed to be good, if they just ban like Donald Trump and they just ban like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like that's fucking crazy thinking to me. You know, like it is fundamentally misunder. It's like fundamentally misunderstanding what these companies are. And what level of planning they actually have. Like, they're just like, people are just like, grow, grow, grow. You know, like, who gives a shit? Like, you know, we don't, we can't even keep up with our platform anymore. We have no idea what's going on on here. Like, that's their mindset, right? Yeah. Right. And so, like, it's not like they they care deeply about Marjorie Car- Taylor Greene. They just don't right. want the bad PR for having her on there. So right, they just right, got rid right. of her, right? And so, like, that's fair. this idea that this is some sort of, like, that we should, like, defend their terms of service, I just think it's ridiculous. Anyway, it has very little to do with this, with the uh, yeah, Amy Wax thing, question. except for... Well, my default yeah. will always just be like, you know, you should allow people to say what they're going to say. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a, I feel very old every time I say that, but I can't help it. Like, I don't, I don't really see the counter argument at all. Like what's counter argument? I mean, isn't a counter argument that nobody forces you to join Twitter. It's a private institution. So. Yeah, but that's not the, that's not the question here. Right? The question, like, yes, that's all true. Nobody violated our first amendment rights. It's right. true. Right. Right. But like we should be cognizant that we live in a world of 
you know, where every tech controls everything. So like in particular, you're, uh, you're upset with cheering on Twitter for banning her. Well, I'm upset with that, but I'm also upset with like, you know, sort of in some ways, like strengthening the idea around the terms of service, right? That um, this idea that it's like, should be this ironclad rule and that we don't, we're powerless against it, you know? True. That's basically what the argument is, right? And it's oh, like, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. keep let's keep doing that. You know, let's see what happens. You know, like it's not good. And, well, um, I think it also points to this, like, you know, suggestion or idea on the left that's existed for some time now that these types of companies essentially should be nationalized or treated like right, you yeah. know, right, public old, utilities, you know, right. yeah, public utilities because they are, and um, and then right. and then what kinds of rules would they be subjected to in terms of speech regulation? It would be more stringent and sort of like reliable, right. yeah, yeah. purportedly, right? And there would be right. an appeals procedure and all this kind of stuff. So I think that is, I have supported that. Yeah, I'm all for that. that like, uh, if there's a way to make it so that it didn't crash all the time, you know, like uh, healthcare dot <laughs> 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 just throwing out the right wing talking points here. Oh, um, I would support that. Um, if I could, if, um, if, if there was a gigantic antitrust fist that broke them up into a billion different tr- Yeah, I would support that too. Mm-hmm. Right. But the thing, I don't know. My argument is that we should think about that. You know, we shouldn't think about how to make these companies benevolent. Right. Oh, yeah. Like uh, that's sure. like the, that's the, that's the problem we have. Okay. Speaking of Facebook, Chamath Palatapaya, Palatapaya, um, did you see that Andy raises eyebrows with appreciation for the amazing segue that I just made? Um, just I got in trouble. Pronunciation is that Litapaya. Well, I was going to write a profile of him at some point, but okay. then you know, like I couldn't actually get in touch with him, and then I sort of gave up. I was just kind of bored it. by it at some point. Yeah. Um, but uh, he uh, he is a Facebook investor, early Facebook investor. He's a high stakes poker player. That's the only reason I know about him. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, oh he plays gosh. like super high stakes so games. Awful. Um, he is like, kind of like the thinking man's like, he's like, I don't know how to describe him. Yeah. But he's like kind of the one that like everyone around here is like, Oh, whoa, that guy's baller. Yeah. The people who hate Peter Thiel, you know, they'll be like, Oh yeah. Chamath is baller. So I think his big moment, I I think part of it's like, he's like a POC and like, you know, like he's like, Mm -hmm. like he does a podcast and like um he's like into poker and he seems to have yeah. like a social life and stuff like that so he's not like this sort of like you know i dead-eyed like you know like libertarian right yeah. um, well i think a big yeah. moment for me at least was at the beginning of the pandemic my friend reminded me of this he says something like let the airline companies burn like don't bail them out right right and, right. Uh, and at the time it's not like this cool radical left thing but it's actually right. a libertarian thing he's saying right yeah yeah <laughs> right. interesting he's like, a, oh, yeah. but he was making an anti-bailout argument Broadly, and he was screaming about 2008, right? right? Like, and he was basically being, oh, like, really? You know, we, yeah, yeah. That's why people liked him, right? Because he has these, he has these like kind of things that sound left if you listen to them for five seconds. Right. Anyway, and then deeper. Speaking like, of the left, yeah, he, uh, he, 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 he was on his podcast and he said basically, you know, that uh, the he doesn't care about like what's happening in Xinjiang, that China is not a totalitarian state, right? And that uh, the United States should um, think about its own imperialistic ambitions before it starts looking out at the rest of the world, which is all stuff that like we see on the online all the time. This made a huge amount of news because like Chamath amongst a lot of his other uh, things is like one of the minority owners of the Golden State Warriors. (laughs) 
which prompted the Golden State Warriors to then say, this guy does not represent what we think, you know? <laughs> Even though it's like very passive aggressive, like clause, like as a man who like right. does not, is not there on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's right, right. Really we don't know this guy. You know? They basically were like, this guy doesn't own enough of this team for us to give a shit about him, you know? Because <laughs> exactly. like every, every team has like a bunch of minority owners that like yeah. don't actually do anything they just like own some stake and basically like to give like you know they give like 30 million dollars and in exchange for 30 million dollars they get like courtside seats for like 15 games it's like basically the 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 deal that they strike um now uh you know it's interesting because uh i think that it was sort of a high it's like i at least as far as i can tell it's like sort of the most high level person who has sort of you know repeated what i think we would sort of recognize as being like a whether, you know, merits or not merits, like this is sort of that what quote unquote tanky line, right? Yeah. Like um, those three points. Um, and uh, I don't know, it was interesting. And so like, look, I only brought all that up to sort of introduce this. Andy, why do you want to talk about this like David Klan article? Well, yeah, um, so there's a PT like Nation this week and it kind of goes over a lot of the stuff that we don't necessarily have to go over on this show in terms of the left being unsure what to think about China and what do we should like how do you balance you know uh sort of you know like criticism or a critical attitude towards the united states with right. you know like concern for what's going on in china there was one line that kind of jumped out to me though um so what happened was there was the the article features promise lee who is a member of laosan but also dsa and he talks about how within the dsa i think this is true that um there are a lot of people within the DSA who do not want to hear any position critical of China because they think that it is, uh, you know, it feeds some broader United States and neo-colonial, neo-imperial mission towards China. Mm-hmm. Um, the person, one of the people who is kind of in the middle, his name is Anlin Wong. He's actually in Philadelphia. Um, and I don't think he's a, he himself mm-hmm. is a tanky. I think he's just kind of stuck between these different positions mm-hmm. in terms of people in the DSA want to defend China. They want to downplay what's happening in Hong Kong and Xinjiang. People in the DSA, like Promise, want to actually bring a socialist analysis of China into the DSA. Um, and Anlin, and what happened was DSA basically said, like, no, we're not going to say anything bad about China. And then Anlin has this quote in the middle that I thought was kind of worth talking about. He says, as kind of explaining like why the DSA did not want to take a stance on China. Um, he's like, well, whatever happened, whatever is going on in China, he says, quote, we are Americans and our country is in the process of a Cold War with China. Signing onto the statement carries a serious risk that it could be used as left-wing support for the broader anti-China effort. And I think this is an interesting quote, this idea that we are Americans, because, uh, you know, and Tammy and I were kind of discussing this, like, what to what extent, because we're all U.S. citizens here and a lot of our listeners are U.S. citizens or U.S. residents, right? Um, to what extent does being an American citizen or being a resident of the United States who benefits and, you know, for, enjoys all the privileges of this country, um, what degree of responsibility or culpability does that, should we feel um, objectively or subjectively? And I think I have a much looser interpretation. <laughs> like I, I, like I think it's, you know, we can argue about like the, the question about China in particular, but in general, it's like, I don't actually feel that obliged. So, so like on these position is like, well, as Americans, you're, you're what Amy Wax was talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, because the, I'm, the, I'm the spirit of liberty is not. Yeah, I don't have a spirit of liberty. Sure. Yeah, there's no yeah, liberty yeah. bell in my heart. <laughs> oh my god! I think well, so. Only is saying like, as an American, 
if yeah. I say something bad about China, maybe like, I mean, I'm like exaggerating. Maybe Joe Biden will hear it and be like, finally, we should invade China because the DSA said so. Yeah, right? no, that's the idea, right? right. And right. that's, you know, I don't want to like caricature, but that kind of is, you know. That is what he's saying. Yeah. Right. And I don't know. I just feel like I don't really think, I think I have a very loose sense of responsibility as American. And maybe that makes me a bad person, but um, like, I think I basically I pay taxes here and I enjoy a lot of these privileges and stuff, but I don't, I don't feel like I was consulted for any of these foreign policy decisions. Um, yeah. Like I should oppose them, you know, but um, you hear a lot of arguments about like the, you know, Afghanistan and Iraq were fought in our name. So you should feel responsible. You should feel responsible for that. And I think that's true to an extent, but it's also like, but they didn't ask us to fight in our name and we didn't ask them to invade Afghanistan and Iraq in our name. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, anyway, so that's just kind of like what I think, like, it's not being an American is kind of an abstraction. Like, I I think that kind of, um, I'm not really sure what that kind of analysis is useful for, um, in this case, but maybe more generally, but, um, I don't know. I was curious what you all thought about that idea. What do you think, Jay? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I feel, I do feel like, uh, you know, like that every citizen has some, responsibility to resist you know imperialist and violent actions in by the state you know i did like i don't think saying like well you didn't ask me so i'm not going to do anything about it you know like it seems like no, i'm not saying we shouldn't do anything about it but it's like do you feel a special responsibility as an american towards the u.s government as opposed to well I, in terms of dissent yeah you know like uh i think that if the country is gonna start a cold war with China, you know, I think that we should resist that, you know, I think if uh, when the country was going to invade Iraq because of, you know, this trumped up bullshit lies, you know, you know, like there's responsibility to resist that. So, yeah, I think that there's some resistance, you know, there's a responsibility that citizen has, like as an American, like I, I don't disagree with that, you know, like I think, um, and that that it goes beyond just being like, well, I disagree with it, but nobody asked me, so I don't feel like I need to do anything about it. Like, you know, I I, I don't know, I I don't no, I don't I agree mean, with that. I don't know. Like, I I agree you should do something about it if you think it's bad. But like by that same token, like if you see something bad, something is bad happening in China, right? Then you should say something about it also, even if yeah. you're not a Chinese citizen. So right. it's on right. those grounds. Like, there's a lot of grounds for you. Okay, can you can we back up a little bit? Like, sure. wh- what is this? Like, what's this DSA? Like, I didn't, like there's yeah. nothing I care about less than like DSA fights that people get really <laughs> mad about. Like, yeah. I I like generally support DSA, you know. Right. But like, you know, like it feels like there are all these internal fights that like I don't think necessarily matter too much. Like, remember right. like when there were, like the Philly DSA was talking about something it's always or yeah. like uh, the Adolf that, Hates, uh, that video that came out of like the person being like will you please stop using gender pronoun like you know like like referring to us as guys or I like all this sort of stuff is easy to lampoon but yeah. I don't know how much of the center of DSA it actually is and I gen- I try and tune it out but like what is it what's going on here I paid zero attention to this um <laughs> I mean like what what's what's the issue here basically I think efforts. most of our listeners probably don't exactly know what it is yeah sorry so the article talks about promise Lee um who's from Hong Kong talking about like we should come up with a resolution on Hong Kong as the DSA right. but in 2019 um <clears throat> Not to like talk too much about like 
the group I'm with, Critical Chinese Scholars, we also had brief conversations about maybe doing video series on how to analyze China. Um, but all this stuff was kind of rejected by the DSA International Leadership Committee. We're not really sure why. Basically, it's just like, it just, it, it didn't happen. And we think it's because a lot of people within DSA, as is in the article, just don't want to see, don't want anything critical of China to come through the DSA. And the DSA in this case, I think is just a stand-in for the left in the United right. States, reaching all the way to people like Chamat, right? Like it's right. like it's becoming more and more in the oxygen of the left liberal discourse. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't know. We could, do, we could talk about that or we, do, we could talk about the specific question of, I mean, the, but the basic basis of that question is, as Chamat himself was even saying, like we shouldn't care about what happens in China because we should first care about what happens in the United States. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that uh, we should, right. And that the United, we shouldn't criticize another imperialist country. Well, if we're doing worse stuff, right. Yeah. Or that, you know, it's not like, why do we care so much about what they do and we're doing worse stuff? Right. right? Which is sort of the basis of the, a lot of the argument that you see online. Um, right. So my, to be clear, I think my position is like, you should, you should have a politics. You should care about bad stuff in the world. I just don't think it should be guided by like your specific responsibility as a citizen of, of whatever country you're in. Okay. I understand that position, you know, but I also think if you are someone like the DSA who claims to be like, you know, care about like socialist issues and class-based issues, right? That um, it seems it's it seems like weirdly artificial to cut it off at the borders of your country and to even like censor yourself um, based on what you think your government who doesn't give a shit what you think anyway, you know, whether or not they're going to do anything towards China, they're not going to consult the, the DSA either way, right? Um, yeah, that, that shouldn't be a reason to like censor your own criticisms of other places where, you know, like you very much will could make a very leftist case for critique of the Chinese government and its treatment towards Uyghurs in Xinjiang or Hong Kong, you know? So that was my basic position. I'm not saying inaction, but I'm just saying like, I don't, Yeah. I think this idea of like, I think this idea that we are Americans and therefore we should do X, that should be kind of analyzed more closely because obviously we are Americans and we do enjoy a lot of stuff and we should feel responsibility slash guilt. But I think the degree to which is something that might be worth discussing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me what you think. Yeah, well, when I read this, I it actually made me think of something that I saw on Twitter in response to Dave Cleon's piece. Because Dave Cleon's piece, I think, was titled was like "What the Left Should Do About China," right? Or "What Should the Left Do About China?" Um, and there was somebody from outside the U.S. who responded to him like, "This is so typically chauvinistic um, that yeah. the U.S. people would think that they matter and are at the center of developing, you know, global policy against this country, etc." Right. And I feel Fair like. Point. Yeah, yeah, fair point, but also <laughs> I buy that, yeah, sort of, but also like I think Dave's Dave's inquiry is a proper one because I think like we also again, and I think like in a way Dave is saying something similar to Anling Wang in the sense yeah. that like as Americans or as leftists, shouldn't we have a view and like how do we shape that view? And I think that's an I don't know, I don't I don't think I'm as troubled by that in that point of view as as you are. Like I think right. Anling is also speaking as a representative of DSA. I take your point, Andy, that like DSA should also have an internationalist vision that is borderless. But at the same time, I think he doesn't want to be cited like by other right wing groups that are basically like, oh, the DSA actually has the same view as we do. Right, right, right. And so I think, you know, in a way, he's almost speaking like as a political representative in that case. I mean, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, it's 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I, mean, I do feel I would... a lot of guilt and complicity as an American, even though I didn't vote for these politicians who voted in these policies either. But um, yeah, I you don't know. Taxes, but uh, to, to, to that argument, I'd be like, listen, DSA, let's not flatter ourselves here. You know? <laughs> <what I'm> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, uh, like, you know, Tucker Carlson is not going to be like, oh, boy, you know, like, like come on. He read like, the latest you know, newsletter. Like, now, the, I don't think that that means I don't think that that means it's not important. I just think that the you know, I think it is very important for groups to have coherent politics. Right. Like, yeah. I think it's important for these conversations yeah. to happen. But once again, much like the Amy Wax thing. I don't know, like the pragmatic effects of this. Like, I don't know. You know, yeah. like, come on, like, let's, let's be realistic <laughs> I mean- about it. I think this is a reason why it's important to have conversations <clears throat> such that you're not stuck in that binary between either the Car- Tucker Carlson's or the Tankies as sure. the only two options. And I think I was kind of thinking about this conversation in the sense of um, I was I was asking myself, you know, like, what do I actually want to happen? You know, do I, I don't want the United States to invade. I kind of want like China to figure it out, the Chinese government mm-hmm. to just stop doing this shit. And for people... I don't know if like a revolution, like a like a grassroots thing will happen, but something like I want them to figure it out on their own, and maybe public opinion will contribute to that. I mean, it ha- would it would have to be that way. Um, but then, like, well, what am I doing, hoping the Chinese government does anything? Right, I've, I'm so far away from the Chinese government. Right, and then I have to ask myself, like, well, what control do I have over the U.S. government? Either, like, I don't think I have any, you know, other than like if I'm just one one of millions of people who participate in a social movement, right? But I'm not like the one. With any direct control over what the U.S. government does. Right, yeah, sure. But like, I don't know if my vote, my vote doesn't matter because both parties hate China anyway, you know? So No, I'm just kidding. Right. (laughs) I I think voting's important, but... um, Voting's important, but like it doesn't actually change this kind of stuff. Right, right, like this idea that... um, Okay, so is this from the Cleon article? One reason China confounds the left is that because is that it's hard to classify in terms of its basic ideology. Is it doctrinaire Maoist People's Republic or an integral part of the globalized neoliberal order? This is from Cleon's article, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, does it represent an alternative to American economic hegemony or does it undergird that hegemony? Should it be credited with lifting hundreds of millions of workers out of rural poverty or blamed for using its cheap and politically powerless workers to undermine organized labor and anti-corporate regulatory regimes worldwide? Is it, in short, communist or capitalist, right? Um that does seem to be a central question, right? Like, um, and I, I, I don't know, like, I, I will admit that I have some sympathy for, um, I, I don't know, I guess I do have some sympathy for this. I, I do think that there is a rise of xenophobic messaging everywhere, yeah, you know? For sure. And I do think that, like, things that, you know, you see this in, like, the, you know, in, like, what's happening in Sudan and stuff like that, right? Where it seems like... Uh, like Chinese oil extraction or stuff like that in the Sudan, which I think is colonial and yeah. Right. That it's somehow seen different as all the shit the United States did in the eighties or worse. And I'm just like, no, (laughs) No. it's like at, at worst it's similar, you know, (laughs) and most, and by any measure, not as bad, still bad still yeah. very bad you know yeah. but like come on like you know we're comparing like the shit that happened in latin america in the 80s to like yeah. you know like 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 that's like some of the worst have egregious... active colonies like right yeah. right right yeah. and so like i understand the frustration around yeah, that right definitely. which is right. that basically like you're only calling out one actor while the other one kind of like gets to like dance around and like you know like <laughs> pretend <laughs> pretend like they're not doing it 
but I don't, I don't know. Like the, I guess my one argument against that is always just like, okay, like for the people who care about international politics and colonialism, which I would say is probably about 3% of the pop United States population. <laughs> right. Do you think that they're unaware of this? Oh you know, I, I don't think they are. Right. And so, um, now that might not be relevant in terms of the messaging, right. But I don't actually think that the anti China messaging is about, um, it's necessarily about like imperialism, right? It's mostly just about like Xinjiang and it's mostly about like the suppression of liberty, right? It's You're like talking about, about like, from the right, from the sort of anti-China. From the right, yeah, and the left. And, and the Democrats. Joe ba- and Joe Biden, right? <laughs> um, it's like about like, well, journalists can't work in China. It's human rights. It's like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's human rights, like sort of suppression of civil liberties type of stuff. And, um, and so like that, that one question about the internationalist part of it, like I find to be like somewhat small, right? But I will say within the smallness of that argument that I tend to agree with, the, I tend to agree with the tankies here. You know, it's like, it's, it's like, a re- it's just a, re- no, I don't think that we should not say anything. I just think it's like, re- I do think it's a ridiculous contradiction to sort oh, of yeah. go out on. Right. And so, and I do think it's prevalent. And so, um, I don't know, like I, 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 now, do I think that like uh, that is like basically the, the only way we should think about China? No, you know, and I don't think anyone would. Say, I don't think. Well, I don't think most people would say that. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of. I mean, who? I who? You can never know. You know what? Like social media, what the reality behind social media is. But it does seem like the predominant response, for instance, to this article, at least on, on social media, was like defense of Vijay Prashad, defense of the sort of tanky position. Um, I don't know just, if that's, yeah, I don't know if that would that mean. Though? Cause like, there were I don't, a lot of people I didn't, tweeting I didn't it approvingly see, too. Okay. I didn't see a single tweet real. about this article. <laughs> I saw, I saw the, com- I, saw well, I went to the article and I went to the okay. comments and yeah. maybe that's just like, oh. yeah, it's like the hive. Except, the, I mean, Andy's yeah, quoted in the article. DJ hive. Yeah. So, I know. I saw some mean people tweeting at the show about it, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know, Andy. Did you, did you think, what'd you think about the client? Tammy, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, sorry. I was just going to, I mean, I I think to your point about like, so I, so I think Andy's like starting inquiry about like the, we are Americans thing. Like, I feel like I really understand what on Ling Wang is saying on that Mm -hmm. end. And then, but when the tankies are saying, oh, you Americans shouldn't speak about anything. Like then I get really mad and then I'm like, right. no, that's ridiculous. And so I do, right. <laughs> I feel like I do kind of go back and forth on the we are Americans thing. Like I, I, I feel the guilt and the complicity and yet I definitely don't want to be silenced in criticizing other regimes. Um, How I think central also- is this question right now to like the way I, that DSA oh, is organizing? I, I admit that like I don't yeah, pay no. that much attention to it. Like is it, is it and I always just assume it's like a tempest in a tea spot, tea teapot. And most people is that the saying? Tempest it is a in saying. a teapot, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, like so most I most think... people in DSA are like trying to get India Walton elected and stuff like that. Right. This right. is in the like okay, so one th- one thing that I find interesting about this is that so the specific DSA controversy that's at the crux of Cleon's piece is was a revolution was a resolution to condemn the oppression of a labor organization in Hong Kong, right? The labor union in Hong Kong. And so it was an international policy question mixed in with a labor question, which makes it even more vexing in a way, because other arms of DSA have recently voted, for instance, to prioritize the unionization of Amazon as a goal on the domestic front. Right. And yet, and then, and yet in the international caucus, you have this problem of China basically like undermining a labor right goal. 
So I I think that's very telling. So in a way, yeah, it's probably a tempest in a teapot, but also it's very indicative of this general, like, you know, problem, this contradiction contradiction. within, yeah, within, you know, foreign policy thinking on the left. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I just, uh, like, I don't want to, I just don't understand on what grounds we would feel like, like if I were to criticize Chinese policy in Xinjiang, why would I also have to like, why just because I'm a U.S. citizen, would I have to therefore talk about like um, American neocolonialism elsewhere? Like I, I, I could be like, yeah, I hate that shit too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's kind of how, that's kind of how I feel. Like I don't, I don't identify yeah. with the government. I don't identify with basically anything in this country other than like the U.S. dollars and the and the and the professional basketball league. You know, it's like. <laughs> Andy, you're really making it like seriously. You're really making Amy Wax's argument for her here. <laughs> right, but like, educated in the finest Ivy League institutions, right? taking exactly. up this like position, educating the promising minds of America's youth, and yet you, the spirit. It's not just that the spirit of liberty doesn't. It's just like a deep apathy yeah, yeah, yeah. towards the future of this country. Beats I would say. So I would say this. Like we know, for instance. The, my cotton clothing and the tomatoes in my kitchen might have come from Xinjiang, right? Mm-hmm. Using forced labor from Xinjiang. That's much more of a material connection that I would feel guilty about than like if a Republican president I didn't vote for started a war that I didn't ask for. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a very abstract thing because we're Americans, therefore we're responsible for that war versus I am consuming the products of labor of an exploited person in a different country, right? Like that latter one feels more real to me um, mm-hmm. in terms of like, well, yeah, how, but you, how are you bound to people around the world? But when you also you use, go you abroad, American like, you are seen as all an American. Yeah, that too. Yeah. And when you go abroad, you are seen as an American who, yeah. regardless of your particular politics, like are representing this, you know. Sometimes I just don't speak English. Dish. Right, but you, but you also are like, <laughs> you're also <laughs> like, you're also, you also like, you know, like you shouldn't just feel guilty about the tomatoes, you know, from Xinjiang or something, right? You use American products all the time that were, created under like horrific labor conditions and, for sure yeah and like with uh companies that have you know basically right. imperialistic colonial ambitions right like like i don't know like if you use instagram for example right like you're 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 supporting that in some sort of way so you should think about that am know. i supporting it all right yeah of course by using it yeah of course you're supporting it like how what, what else would it be um like, or how is that how is that so different than like the tomatoes you're buying you know like yeah. how's the moral calculus so different um because the tomatoes you know the tomato tomatoes are the product of a workforce i mean i could say you could say i'm supporting like the i don't know if it's supporting i mean i'm not saying i'm supporting like forced labor in xinjiang i think i'm consuming like the product of their labor and therefore right you know, but you're doing that with instagram too yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and you're i can feel yeah sure and i feel and i feel well, like i'm saying like, you shouldn't be like callous to, you shouldn't be like indifferent towards one of them and like opt out of just saying well i don't care about this because i don't i choose not to but okay I will so let me rephrase this, it right? i feel i don't i don't necessarily feel more I, I would say like i would feel equally bad about the exploited labor that goes into my American products as well as the products from overseas. But one should feel the lines, like the the basis for that would be about like the material connections or like the real connections, right? But to say you're a U.S. citizen and therefore you're responsible for U.S. politicians, dude, that's an abstract connection that I don't, I don't see, I, that feels much less real yeah, to me. Yeah, you're saying, you're saying that citizenship and our, you know, our, um, 
part of the social contract is essentially incidental or against your will in some way. It isn't a willful act in the same way that the consumption of a product that is the direct result of exploitation is. Yeah, I mean, right. obviously there are some ways I do but, participate and I do license yeah. but <laughs> like, I do feel like it is. Like, but I feel like it is. Honestly, it's a very rich connection, actually. And that, like, I don't know. I mean, I think, like, are our, our, the three of us having this citizenship that gives us inc- all of these incredible privileges in the world is incidental but also that's what makes it even more the source of like complicity and like make it yeah i'm with tammy I yeah think, but i don't know what, i don't always know what to do with that but i feel that right. very really like on a daily basis yeah and we should you know you should question things like i don't like for this we're having this conversation this podcast be hosted by amazon web services right sure you know, like uh, we could. Well, that's not just like, an American company, right? It's a global it's company. An, it's an American company. I mean, what, what's the point of that American distinction, American. though? Like, what's the what would be the so if, like if Amazon, if Amazon, if there were like labor abuses with some Amazon, if. <laughs> okay, there when are, there are labor yeah. abuses, <laughs> given yeah. that there are labor abuses involving Amazon in the rest of the world, right? It's like then, as a consumer of Amazon, I would feel responsible both for that stuff outside the United States as well as in the United States. Is what I'm saying. I think you okay. just feel much more connected to your consumer choices than your citizen, your sort of citizenship. Well, I mean, consumer is just an example, right? Because I'm just saying, like these, the way, the world is not just divided up by countries; it's also divided sure. by like trade yeah, networks yeah, and like, all that stuff, right? And you know, it's like I'm sure you've had this thought before. Like, what do I have in common with someone from Alaska? You know, like, you know, I don't have that thought. Okay, <laughs> I have. I, have I mean. Thought. I, I I don't know. It is interesting because I'm the only one. Incidental. I'm the only one. I like was not a U.S. citizen until I was like 16. So maybe I drink the Kool Aid yeah. a bit more because I'm the only one of us that's like a full on immigrant, you know. Um, but I went through the naturalization process, and I don't think I thought. You know, the questions are easy, so it's not like you had to right. study for it or anything. But like, I mean, they're easy if you like grew up in the United States and took like you know, yeah. civics class, but, um, uh, but you know, like, I think that, um, you know, I don't know. I, I do, I do feel some connection to people in Alaska and Hawaii and whatever. Right. Like it's and that should think about things in terms of well, you've been Alaska. Probably. Yeah. I've never I been think... to China either. Yeah. You but know? you've been to other, you've been to places, other places around the world that you might have a more of a connection to. Than I have other been to Hawaii. Right. Uh, and Hawaii is basically Asia. Let's be honest. I don't, no, I don't feel that way. I feel more, I would feel more of a connection to somebody in Iowa or something like that than I would feel to like uh, you know somebody in I don't know Vietnam or something like that. Is it like I know, this is all and this is this is all Benedict Anderson by the way. I was going to say we're basically just doing imagined communities right now. But <laughs> right, right. I do. Th- Another I book I listened to on Audible. <laughs> oh, did that? Okay, that actually. Would I listened to it on one and a half speed, and I generally absorb like ninety percent of it, which is actually better than my rate reading books. You know, my brain is fried. I can't write read a physical book at all anymore. I either read it on my phone or I listen to it on. But I will say I read and listen to way more books than I did when I had to like open an actual book and keep a light on. Well, that's good. Yeah, I just burn through these things, you know. Um, yeah. All right. All right. I get what you're saying, Andy. I think I just, I don't know. I guess I just think about the power of our passports a lot and how it's crazy how much we benefit from 
what we uh, yeah, and I, I agree with a lot. And of I know that. you, I know you agree with that. But I, but I do think that that binds us in some fundamental way that is worth speaking about, not in a patriotic way, but rather in a way of right. Then really trying to understand, like, okay, what, do, where do you go from there? And even though I didn't obviously didn't vote for Trump, um, and don't even particularly like Biden, like they are my representatives in the world. Yeah, and, and Biden. There's a dot 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 that then is the question that I'm trying to. Figure I think out. once, like, if COVID is ever over during Biden's administration, which I kind of don't think it will be, you know, and I think that's why we're they in were. so much trouble. Like we're we're screwed. Trump. Is I don't know. It's like two more years. Again. We'll see. But like, uh, yeah. you know, that, I think he'll just pivot straight to anti-China stuff. You know, I yeah. think that's some of are. the. I think that's some of the stuff that people are worried about. Um, you know, even if they express it in uncouth ways, like I think there's like a yeah. fear of that, you know, and it's um, like, do we want to do we want a Cold War just because we have this massively unpopular president? I mean, his approval rating is 33 percent. I think last time I checked, yeah. it's crazy, you know, um, who's going to just basically do this shit to try and get reelected and stave off the destruction of the Democratic Party forever, which, you know, yeah. we're kind of at right like um you know, I feel an investment in that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I just don't. I don't know. I I totally agree with all that. I just don't think I ha- I can do anything about it. And I also think, if anything, it's also just feel like intellectually dishonest. Not to say like you are, but like to like to like not try to come up with a different way of thinking. Right, about right. It. I agree sure. with that. I agree yeah, with yeah, that. I, I think I find the binary around this stuff to be ridiculous. It's too, really, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it seems like we mostly agree. Well, everyone on this should stuff. read Andy's <laughs> quotes in the piece. Yeah, very, very, uh, I can't wait for Andy to show up in uh, Amy Wax's next. Free. I, <laughs> I might send it to her. I don't oh have her email God. address. She's but, gonna you know. cite to this podcast in her next. <laughs> yeah. I can see article. her like tomorrow. There's like yeah. three three woke Asians who all attended Ivy League institutions. You know, <laughs> bagging on America. Two of whom write for the New York Times. Just you know, like none of them feel any investment in this country. They're just doing their performative left, like oh you know. God. Talky talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever. I mean, touche. You know, you got us. <laughs> I got. I, I have no response to that. Okay, let's end the show. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, we do this every week. Um, you can support the show at goodbye.substack.com. There, you. You know, that's another tech company, but you know, um, there you and one that also is debated all the time on whether it's like good or bad. True. And it's like what are we talking about here you know um like how could it like i don't know it's it's um i don't know i have a i i feel like i'm like uh ardent substack defender basically in that when it comes down to it just like because better than publications like legacy publications no it gives people like uh it gives journalists and writers like a way to make money like that's the part that i care about you know right. and um they don't have to be gatekept in the same sort of way, you know? And I think that if that leads to some substacks that people really find distasteful, then like, you know, like grow up, you know, like there's a lot of people making money who you do agree with on substack who would be pummeled in the mainstream media market, right? They would be broke. Um, It's impossible to make money freelancing right now, you know, like it's so hard. And so like the idea that like we're going to take away um this platform because like we have like a few people that you find distasteful 
Like, it's crazy to me. It's similar to the tenure conversation, you yeah. know? Where it's right. just like, all right, you know, you want to, like, dismantle this thing that you're going to, like, ruin people's financial security and, like, make this job even more financially precarious because you want to act in this sort of censorious way. Like, you know, right. like, I don't know. Grow up. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Cool. Anyway, you can support the show on goodbye. That's <laughs> <stack. Yeah. laughs> yeah. you, uh, you can you could also um, you could also reach us at good uh, time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com or on Twitter, Discord, Twitter on TTSG pod, or you can join our Discord community if you sign up for our Substack. We'll send you the link, and there's a lot of great conversations going on at all times. You know, so thank you for listening to the show. Uh, Andy and Tammy, I will see you next week. Uh, until then, goodbye. Bye.